What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is Mike, and welcome to episode 61 of the Mike and Dave Podcast. So on the last episode, we talked about the NFL season coming in with fantasy football advice. In the next episode, we're going to talk about the NFL season and do our patented uh, Mike and Dave preseason tier list. For now, we're going to talk about college football because that's kicking off in just a couple weeks and actually just a week by the time this releases. So we're both super excited about that. So we're going to go through plenty of stuff for the season on this episode, but to kick things off, we're going to do off the top. It's my turn to bring the prompt for Dave. And I figured, why don't we marry something current in sports with college football, with the NFL, with fantasy, sort of lump all three episodes in a row together. Dave, your boy, Dalvin, is now a New York Jet. So Dave, I wanted to get your thoughts on the matter in, I guess, four different ways. One, what does this mean for the Vikings? Two, what does this mean for the Jets? Three, what does this mean for fantasy owners, I guess, for Dalvin? And four, what does this mean for Brees Hall and, I guess, for the fifth, Alexander Madison owners? How do you feel and how is this affecting fantasy and these two teams? There we go. There's a better way to say it. Okay. Um, no pressure. There's so many things to talk about. Um, already. Well, hello, everybody. This is Dave. And first of all, if you listen to last episode, then you know I have an undying love for Dalvin Cook. Uh, so I appreciate the question. Let's see. What does it mean for the Jets? Well, it means that they are getting a very good running back who's still probably top 10 in the league at this point of his career. Definitely on the down swing, but I think especially if you pair him with Brees Hall, then you've got a really good one-two punch in the backfield in terms of you know actually winning games and being successful in the real world. Um, in terms of fantasy, <laughs> I'm probably avoiding it depending on what where you can get him. Uh, because let's be honest, Dalvin Cook, as good as he is, he is injury prone. Let's be honest, Brees Hall, as good as he is, has shown he he is injury prone after his one season in the NFL. So chances are one of these guys is probably going to get injured. So you probably want the other one at that point because he's going to be getting more of the work, but you don't know when that's going to be and who that's going to be. So it's definitely risky. So if they end up falling to a point where you're looking at the other options, you're weighing the risk, weighing the reward, then I would say go ahead and draft them, but definitely temper the expectations because it's not going to be the Dalvin of a few seasons ago. Um, So that's kind of the Jets perspective from both NFL and fantasy. And then in terms of the Vikings, um, I mean, it's tough because Dalvin meant a lot to that offense and that team over the past few seasons, but Alexander Madison has been waiting in the wings, um, you know, the the stand-in actor. And whenever he's come on, he has shined. And both in, you know, for the Vikings on the field, as well as for fantasy owners. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to do 
this season. I don't think the Vikings are really going to lose too, too much uh, production wise. And then in terms of fantasy wise, I mean, that's, it's going to be a high scoring offense again. Obviously Justin Jefferson is, is the main attraction there. And Kirk Cousins is going to be feeding him the ball a lot, but they should be in position to score a decent amount. And Alexander Madison is pretty good at getting the ball in the end zone and taking advantage of opportunities. So yeah, I, I think for the Vikings, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, you're paying Madison, not nearly as much as you were paying Dalvin and in fantasy terms, you're not going to be paying nearly as much for Madison as you would have for Dalvin in the past. So I think it, it makes sense on, on both sides. So overall, hopefully the Jets actually have a decent season. Dalvin can, can have a resurgent season for them. Um, and you know, the same thing for the, for the Vikings where Madison can have a, a breakout season in his first year as a starter. I think that answered everything. Yeah, it did. And what you said on the last episode about Alexander Madison is that he'd been a great handcuff like the past few seasons. And now it's just sort of it's like, okay, well, now you can draft him without being like, okay, well, if Dalvin gets hurt or when Dalvin gets hurt, this is really going to work out for me. Now it'll just probably really work out for you. But like you said, won't have quite the same high asking price as Dalvin because while Alexander Madison has always been efficient, I wouldn't call him a top 10 running back. And so you won't have to pay that kind of dollar for him, even if you potentially end up getting that level of production from him. So could be a fantasy steal for you. All right, cool. Well, that'll do it for Dalvin talk for now. I don't think he should be coming back into play in this episode, but cool. Well, when we come back, we'll really get into our college football 2023 season preview. So stick around for that. All right, folks, we are back, and it is time to get into our college football season preview. Obviously, very exciting that college football is back. It seems like the wait lasts forever until football season returns, but it's finally here, or almost here. So we want to get into it, and of course, we're going to break it down and structure it a little bit. So we have a few different categories we're going to talk about, and we each have two uh, different nominees, I guess, for each category. So the first one is championship contenders and then we also have championship dark horses as well and then we go into individual awards and we have heisman favorites and heisman sleepers and then finally we get into some matchups to watch um that you know over the course of the season are really ones that you want to make sure that you tune in for at least at the start of the season let me go ahead and shock all of our loyal listeners who never would have seen this coming from me Michigan, baby. We're number two in the preseason rankings, okay? Like, this isn't... It's not like I'm, I don't know, a Notre Dame fan where I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, like, in the top 20. And, you know, this could be the year where it all comes together. No, I'm a fan of Michigan. They're number two. It's been coming together we're basically getting better every year. I mean, if you take out 2020 where we sucked randomly, like it's basically been just a steady upward uh, trend. Our defense has been top five ish for like six of the last seven seasons. Um, We're bringing back like six ish starters on our defense, uh, which is pretty good. 
We've won the Joe Moore Award for the nation's best offensive line two years in a row. We're the only team to have done that. And we're bringing back three starters, um, including Zach Zinter, who's probably going to be a first, if not second round draft pick next summer or come April. Um, One of the better guards in the country. Um, So returning three starters, the other two additions to that offensive line are Ladarius Henderson, who is one of the higher-ranked pass protectors in the Pac-12 last season. And for the third straight year, we're bringing in a transfer center to come start for us. This time, that's in the form of Drake Nugent uh, from Stanford, who was the third-best run-blocking center in the country last year. So our offensive line has been the best two straight years, and... Like, I'm not saying three-peat necessarily, but, like, we still look good. Like, and that said, like, we were one of the best, if not the best, rushing attacks last season. We're bringing back both of our star running backs to run behind a reloaded, amazing offensive line. J.J. McCarthy has a year of starting under his belt. Now he's coming back as a veteran quarterback who has, while struggled in a playoff game from, like, on various drives, he's played in one. And now he gets another season of practice and everything. Um, Yeah, like, it looks like it just keeps coming together. Um, Every year it seems we've been improving. We keep building on the progress we've made. So I feel totally comfortable calling Michigan a contender. Um, The odds of, like, obviously Georgia is fantastic. I'm sure you'll talk about them. But the odds of three-peating are pretty low, and if it's not going to be them, then Michigan looks really, really good. Okay. Uh, Any concerns about Harbaugh and his suspension? I know it's just for three games, but any any concern over a potential, you know, effect on the program or anything like that? So I think under that deal, he's still going to be available for the weekly practices or the, sorry, the practices throughout the week and then just won't be at the games. We have a good string of assistant coaches. I'm guessing Sharon Moore will be acting on his behalf at the games, who I trust pretty well. Um, it's our offensive coordinator. Um, those three games, I mean, knock on wood, but none of them really, really scare me. We're not getting into like our conference games or anything yet. So with Jim Harbaugh at practice with a good play caller at the game, like I think we'll be okay. Um, and then we'll be able to catch up, like pick up steam after game three. So I'm not like, it's less than ideal, but like, I'm not too terribly worried about it. It could definitely be worse. For sure. And like you said, I do think that Michigan has continued building towards what seems like they're destined to make a championship game appearance at one stage or another. It seems like this season might be the the year, but you know, there are definitely some other really strong contenders out there. You mentioned three peating earlier for the Michigan offensive line winning the Jim Moore award. Well, now I'm going to talk about Georgia. Let's talk about three peating as national champions, uh, which Georgia has the, the chance to do. I mean, I got to start with their schedule. I mean, talk about a cupcake schedule. 
my goodness. It is almost a little embarrassing for a team coming off back-to-back national championships to have this easy of a schedule. Um, Realistically, they should walk the park in pretty much every game, um, and it's going to just come down to maybe if they have a slip-up and then lose in the SEC championship game, that's really the only way that I can see them not making it. Um, So obviously that in and of itself puts them in that championship contending category, also starting the season number one and being back-to-back national champions kind of has something to do with that as well. But let's be honest. We know their running back room and offensive line will be strong again, like it always is at Georgia. Um, (laughs) Their defense has also reloaded as per usual, uh, returning several really impact players on that side of the ball. And of course, they have one of the best players in college football in Brock Bowers, which can paper over a lot of question marks. And Georgia doesn't have many except for two. And that is their offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo, who's reta- who's replacing Todd Munkin, who went to go call plays for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens in the NFL, which Bobo's done this before, but we'll just have to see if he can have you know, recapture that same magic and that same offensive production that they got under Munkin. And it's with a new quarterback, obviously. Stetson Bennett's gone to the Rams after winning back-to-back champions or championships. Pretty big shoes to fill. And Carson Beck has been named the starting quarterback for UGA. And he's he saw a little bit of, of work last season and did pretty well in limited action. But I got to be honest. There, that is a pretty big question mark at quarterback for one of, you know, for this championship contending team. Now, they're not the only team that's up there in the championship contenders that have a question mark there. But I think the good thing for Georgia is that he's still obviously a really talented kid, probably more arm talent than Stetson Bennett, just not quite as much mobility. But we're already going to see that they have, you know, all the other pieces needed in order to, to compete. All he has to do really is just make sure that he's executing the game plan and that he, you know, he makes the throws when he needs to make them. One thing about Stetson Bennett, he kind of had that it factor. He made play, you know, he made plays happen both, you know, within the frame of the play. And then also when he needed to make a play kind of outside the pocket or, or scramble drill or whatever, then he was able to do that too. So we'll see about Carson Beck. Um, I know Kirby Smart and those guys are, are, you know, they believe in him. They've named him the starter. So we'll see. Um, But yeah, I I am a little, a little concerned about that. Uh, But realistically, like I said, the schedule kind of overtakes everything in my mind, especially when you look at some of the schedules for a lot of the other contenders or dark horses, like Georgia should basically sleepwalk their way to the SEC championship game this year. Hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure Georgia fans are pulling for it, but I mean, coming from someone that's not rooting for them, maybe they will slip up. Here's hoping, right? Um, Carson Beck, pretty sure he'd been named the starter like two years ago. And then he was trash and got replaced. But unless I'm like confusing him, but I'm pretty sure that was the case. And then he got replaced by Stetson Bennett. But 
word coming out of camp is that he's been doing well. And Kirby Smart was like, yeah, he's doing well against our defense, and that's saying something. And if that's the case, then like, yeah, it is. You know, Georgia's defense is legit. So, yeah, they, and yeah, like you said, reloading. That's uh, one of the words that stuck out to me. Um, and speaking of, my next contender is Alabama, <laughs> uh, which feels like the easy, obvious answer, but like, it's Alabama. You know, it's Nick Saban. You want to tell me to narrow down to four the teams that could have a real shot at the championship and not include Nick Saban's team. Are you kidding me? They have the number one recruiting class in the country for this season. Um, Like you've said multiple times before, five stars getting Nick Saban water on the bench. Um, They're replacing Jameer Gibbs uh, with Jace McClellan, his backup from last year, who in his recruiting class was like the sixth best running back available number 41 prospect overall this is this isn't some rando like this is a a good solid running back in and of himself um their defense last year took a step back from the year before but they always have at the very least a good defense and we're expecting that to be the case as well um they have a couple tough games on their schedule. Tennessee uh, ranked 12th, LSU ranked 5th. And by the way, just to mention LSU real quick. If you're wondering why I didn't pick LSU over Bama, I'm not just going to say, oh, it's because Bama's 4 and LSU is 5, even though that might be the appearance of this. If it were flipped, if LSU was 4 and Bama was 5, I'd still pick Bama. Uh, Nick Saban is just one of those guys that like you don't bet against him. And so I was going to include him for the contenders on this list. I understand that there are some questions at the quarterback spot. He hasn't officially named a starter at this point, not that I've seen. So maybe by the time this episode comes out, he will have. By the time that we're recording it, he has not. But we've seen that narrative going into seasons before, and we've seen them win in spite of that. They also have history on their side. Since 2009, Alabama has won at least once every three years. And if history repeats itself, that would be this year. So so the, I'm not calling Alabama the favorites, but I'm saying that they're a contender. Yeah. To be honest with Alabama, I think this year is kind of the year, the first year in a while where there may be some, some weaknesses to be exploded. Um, I think... It's, you know, in terms of their uh, their secondary, for instance, you could argue that their DBU, they're, other than Kool-Aid McKinstry, they don't have a whole lot back there um, in terms of, of star talent. Obviously, you've got decent r- recruits, but no one proven. The quarterback position, I don't think they feel great about any of them, to be honest. And you had Bryce Young before, and, and you couldn't get it done, so... That's kind of tough. Um, so obviously Alabama is still going to be in and amongst it. I think it makes sense to call them a contender in terms of comparing them to Alabama teams of other years. I do feel like they're maybe in like a tier below. And so I think for these other contenders, it's really time to take advantage of that or, or even other teams in the SEC. Maybe this is the year that maybe they can get one over on Alabama. So We'll just have to see. Um, you mentioned 
the fact that Alabama hasn't picked a starting quarterback yet as of the time of recording. Neither has Ohio State. And yes, we are doing the the preseason uh, one, two, three, and four teams as our championship contenders, which, why wouldn't we? There's a reason why all four of these are are being talked about. They're all blue bloods. They're all ranked up there for a reason. So we're going to get into some dark horses and slash sleepers in a second. Um, but let me talk about Ohio State first. So, yeah, they have not picked a quarterback yet to start. Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are going at it. They keep going back and forth. Which one do we like? We don't know. But they feel, of course, they're going to say this, but they feel really great about either one. But the coaching staff is split down the middle in terms of who they prefer. Um, So who knows? It'll probably be McCord, if I had to guess, because he's been there a little bit longer. But, you know, they're both top 100 recruits. Like, it's it's not like they're chumps. But in terms of... Ohio State quarterbacks and, you know, going from C.J. Stroud to one of these guys, it's definitely a downgrade. Um, Same thing with Alabama. You're going from Bryce Young to whichever of the three that they're going to start. That's a downgrade. So, so yeah, so that's obviously the number one, uh, I guess, chink in the armor for Ohio State. I'm wondering if they can finally break through this year because they haven't won since 2014. But they've made five playoff appearances since then. 2014, 2016, 2019, 2020, and last year, 2022. And they've only managed to to make it through one time. It seems like they're just, I mean, they're obviously consistent. They're almost always in the college football playoff. But they haven't been able to get over the hump. I'm wondering if this year could potentially be the year. I hope it's not. I don't like Ohio State. But you got to respect their consistency but yeah, year in and year out, they're always in and amongst it, just like Alabama. Um, and to be honest, it may not really matter too much who's under center when you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. and Amika Egbuka at the wide receiver position. They're going to make whatever quarterback steps in there five times better, ten times better. Um, not to mention when you've got Mayan Williams and Trevion Henderson, you're talking about Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. That's a that's a really great one-two duo, but you compare that with Ohio State backs, and all of a sudden there's a conversation there. Maybe Michigan ed- edges it a bit, but there's definitely a conversation to be had. So when you've got two really great running backs, two really great wide receivers, that's really going to help out, you know, your quarterback. Obviously, in terms of the offensive line, we've got a, I've got some question marks there too at the tackle spots. Obviously, Paris Johnson Jr., Dewan Jones, stalwarts at, at offensive tackle for Ohio State last year. They're both off to the NFL. The interior of the line is still pretty good, but they're unproven at tackle. So they're going to need to make sure that they they shore that up. Um, and we'll see how that goes this season. But Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan. Those are the three big games that I'm sure are already circled on their schedule. And it's really, you know, between Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State, potentially two out of the three could make it to the college football playoff, but it could be a bloodbath. And for teams in the Big Ten, you gotta kind of got to hope that the other two, you know, lose one or two games, and maybe you only lose one and come out with, with just that one loss, you know, going into the, the playoff. So we'll see. 
Um, but Ohio State, like I said, they're always in and amongst it pretty consistently since the playoff has been a thing. They've usually been in it. Uh, so I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see Ohio State in there once again this year. Yeah, here's hoping they're not. You know, just both of the teams that you mentioned. I'm like, please no. Um, yeah, I would definitely put our uh, our two running backs above theirs. The problem is, they definitely have better receivers than us. I like our receivers, but not like Marvin Harrison Jr. My gosh. Um, which you know, having great receivers certainly helps the running backs. You know, uh, having to commit defensive attention there, whereas. When you play Michigan, you already know what we're trying to do. <laughs> but on talent alone, oh, give me Corman Edwards all day. But yeah, um, some holes to fill. But yeah, Ohio State is a consistent threat. So yeah, they 100% could be there. Um, yeah, let's get into some dark horses on the other side of it then. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to talk about both of mine at this, basically at the same time. So for my two dark horses, I've picked Washington and Oregon, both out of the Pac-12. And I want to talk about them together because they have a lot in common. Uh, They're both bringing back a lot of talent from last year. Um, That's number one, including uh, their quarterbacks, uh, which we'll talk about later. But let's just say for now, they're both very good in uh, Bo Nix for Oregon and Michael Penix Jr. for Washington. They're both coming off bowl game victories. Washington beating Texas and Oregon beating UNC. Uh, what they're they both had good seasons last year. Washington only lost two games. Oregon they lost three, but one of them was that ass whooping by UGA in Week One. And let's be honest, most teams in the nation would have received that kind of ass whooping. So Fair. after Week One. Oregon only lost two games. So, and Bo Nix, I'm sure, is happy to hear this. He doesn't have to face Georgia this year. You know, he was at Auburn. He couldn't escape Georgia. Then he moves across the country to Oregon. They play Georgia week one. This year, he's finally free for the regular season, at least. You already know for the playoffs, he'll be, if they make it that far, he'll be like crossing his fingers so hard. Like, please, Georgia. <laughs> Please anyone uh, but them. Anyone but them. Um, they also have something very similar uh, with their schedules, and that's that they each have four ranked opponents. They each play, you know, preseason rankings here, number six, USC, number 14, Utah, number 18, Oregon State, and each other, which means um, that game where they play each other October 14th, which is week seven is going to be like, that has the potential to have huge playoff implications. Um, especially since that's the first of those ranked games for both of them. So whoever wins that could really start like snowballing that into a big winning streak and then into a playoff appearance. If they're able to take care of business from there on out. And the other team that loses, should they also win those respective matchups can still be in the mix for it. Um, so these are two teams whose schedules are on their side, you know, a good balance of like good matchups to look at for their resume and enough teams to sort of just kind of get through without really messing up their record. 
outside of this, the biggest game is I think Oregon's playing Texas Tech week two. But otherwise, like relatively smooth sailing. Um, Oregon, interestingly enough, in no game this season are they projected to be more than a two and a half point underdog. That's it. That's the extent of the spread on them. That game is against Washington. And I don't think Washington is ever slated. No, they're slated as like a one-point underdog to USC. When you look at those betting odds, like both of them have a sort of roadmap into undefeated seasons. With two and a half points, that's an easy spread to go for. Are you kidding me? So the potential is there. They're bringing back plenty of talent. They have good schedules ahead of them. They're already both ranked top 15 uh, in a winnable conference without huge threats except each other to get through and USC. Yeah. I think either of these teams, not both at the same time, but either of these two certainly has the potential to come out on top of the pack 12 and into the college football playoffs. Yeah. I think that's, that's definitely a good shout. And, you know, this is kind of the, the swan song for the pack 12. This is kind of the, the last hurrah for a conference that has seen a lot of success a lot of success over the years. And maybe this is the year where we see, you know, it's been a long time uh, since a national championship, national championship has come from the Pac-12, but they've, they're always in and amongst it. Maybe this is the year where one of those two teams or USC, who spoiler alert, I'm about to talk about, maybe they end up getting it done. And it's, you know, that fairy tale ending, not that it's really a fairy tale ending me because then they're just leaving the Pac-12 <laughs> for pastures new. Um, but yeah, I think the points you made about Washington and Oregon makes a lot of sense. There is definitely a, a, a pathway for both of them to make it. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if a Pac-12 team did make it uh, this year. Although in years past, they do have a tendency of cannibalizing each other to where no one is good enough or has a good enough record to actually make it. They're always filling out the rest of the top 10 and playing in good bowl games, but never quite getting to the playoff for the most part. So we'll see if that happens because also they have USC to contend with. And that's my first uh, dark horse for the championship this year. I mean, they're only so much of a dark horse because they have the Heisman front runner, Caleb Williams at quarterback and the offensive guru, Lincoln Riley, as their head coach. So, of course, they're already in that conversation, but I don't think anyone's taking them extremely seriously yet, but I think they should because USC was a terrible defense last year away from probably being in that playoff. I mean, their defense was absolutely atrocious last year. They had to make changes, and they did make some changes. They brought in a few transfers that I think have the the capability of at least making their defense average because that's all they need. Offensively speaking, they've got plenty of weapons. They've got probably the top quarterback in the nation and one of the best play callers uh, as well. So you, we already saw how great USC was last year offensively. Defensively, they brought in Mason Cobb, who's a linebacker from Oklahoma State, who should really solidify the middle of that defense. And then on the defensive line, because although their pass defense was terrible, their rush defense was even worse. Um, 
almost the worst in the country. So they brought in Bear Alexander from UGA, who's probably going to to play a significant role up front for them, as well as uh, Keon Bars from Arizona. Both of those should be pretty solid additions to the their defensive line. Um, and they also have a freshman wide receiver that I want to talk about as well, Zachariah Branch. He was the top-ranked receiver in this past recruiting class. So he's going to be a true freshman. They lost Jordan Addison, which was, you know, obviously Caleb Williams' number one target. Branch could kind of be that Marvin Harrison guy for USC and really become that next big receiver that's coming out of of that school. Um, he's got all the talent in the world, obviously a great offense, a great quarterback. So I'm looking for him to make a splash in his freshman season. So USC, you know, you already mentioned um, the games they have coming up against Oregon and Washington. That's towards the end of the season. They actually have a really easy start to the season. They don't play a currently ranked opponent um, until Notre Dame, which is their seventh game of the season. Um, so obviously that's going to be a pretty big one. Then they face Utah, Cal, which isn't as tough, and then Washington, Oregon, and UCLA. So it, it really is they have the the first six games or so to kind of warm up, get their feet under them, figure out that defense, uh, and then it, it's time for the for the big games. Um, but I I believe in Caleb Williams. I believe in Lincoln Riley. I think they can make things happen. And maybe this is the year that USC gets back to the playoff and, um, you know, kind of, who knows, maybe could go all the way and, and bring USC back to their their former glory days. So we'll just have to see, but the, the pieces are there for sure. Which, by the way, what a crazy narrative that would be, right? Caleb Williams wins the Heisman, then turns around, wins the national championship for USC for a team that hasn't been here in quite some time. Yeah, that would be crazy. And it he could win the Heisman again. <laughs> Who knows? Which we'll, we'll get there in a second. Uh, first, <laughs> I have to talk about another team. And I got I to gotta start off by being honest with you guys. Florida State, which if y'all don't know already, that's my, my school. That's the, the school I cheer for. Florida State has been getting a lot of hype this preseason. Arguably too much hype in my mind. <laughs> we ha- we did have a really good season last year, especially compared to seasons prior. We ended the season really, really well. And so I understand the hype. You know, we have a bunch of guys coming back, pretty much the best returning uh, ratio in the country in terms of production. Um, not to mention one of these standout transfer portal windows of any team as well. So it makes sense that Florida State's being named out there. I am not saying for one second that I believe that Florida State is going to win the championship this year. I don't think that. But these are teams that we're talking about dark horses. These are teams where we could realistically see how they could make a run for the championship this year. And that's why I want to talk about Florida State. So I already mentioned all of the returning production, all of the transfers. So let me put a few names to those. So Jordan Travis is a quarterback, one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the nation. Realistically, was basically just a running quarterback up until about two seasons ago. Then last season, he really took up uh, his production a notch, was really 
careful with the football, really solid, um, you know, improved a lot of on a lot of his throws, on a lot of his accuracy, um, making sure that and also like in, in terms of leadership as well, a really, really strong leader for that Florida State team. And when you pair him with Johnny Wilson, who is a monstrosity of a wide receiver at 6'7", 240, like I'm like, I'm getting Kelvin Benjamin vibes, but like Johnny Wilson's more athletic. Um, then you've got a dangerous combination. Trey Benson could be that next Florida State running back after Dalvin Cook, Devontae Freeman, Warwick Dunn, uh, Cam Akers. See, I I did manage to get Dalvin Cook in here. Um, then you're a, a, a exactly. Um, then you know I'm really excited about Trey Benson and what what he could do this season. Our offensive line is finally not a dumpster fire after many years of it being horrible. Last year they were actually decent. We're bringing um, most, if not all, of them back this season, which is a great sign. Um, and obviously Jordan Travis has the escapability as well and to make plays um, when when he needs to that are kind of outside of the script. So really excited about that. Defensive line is looking dangerous. Obviously Jared Verse, right now, he he might be the top defensive player drafted, uh, you know, going into the season for next year. Really, really uh, talented pass rusher who I was surprised came back to school, but that kind of speaks to the level of talent and the culture that Mike Norvell has been implementing at Florida State for a guy like that who probably would have been a first-round draft pick to come back and want to compete for, a you know, a national championship this year. That means a lot. Um, they also still have Fabian Lovett coming back, really solid defensive lineman. And then they got a couple of transfers in, Braden Fisk and Daryl Jackson Jr., who also are probably going to start on the defensive line. And once that gets going, it's really going to help out the rest of the team. Um, Fintrell Cypress II is another really talented corner. Um, 12 pass breakups last season. I'm looking for him to make some splash plays another Florida state corner that could potentially uh, be a, a decent NFL prospect. We'll have to see. Um, and then two more transfers. I want to talk about Jaheim bell and Keon Coleman bells at tight end from South Carolina, who I think could do a lot in the passing game. We didn't really have too much of a tight end um, or too much of a presence at tight end last season. And then Keon Coleman as well for Michigan state. I mean, he's probably going to be the number two, number three receiver, another big body as well for Jordan Travis to throw to. When you've got a guy like Jordan Travis too, like his accuracy isn't the best, but when you've got these really big targets, it doesn't matter as much because they're really going to help him out. <laughs> um, and like Johnny Wilson, you really just have to throw it up there in his vicinity and he's going to go up and get it. There's no corner that's going to, to out jump or be taller than Johnny Wilson. So, um, so I'm looking for, for some of those 50, 50, balls um because i think johnny wilson is gonna go up and get them so yeah i'm really excited for florida state this season first time in a while that i can say that um obviously they've got a couple of really tough tests lsu in the first game of the season clemson who we haven't beaten i don't even want to know how long i i i thought about looking it up when I was preparing for the podcast and i was like i i actually don't really want to know so i know it's been a long time <laughs> Um, so we'll see. Also one other key note, and then I'll, I'll be done talking about Florida state. Uh, 
the ACC got rid of their divisions this year, finally. Because for a long time, Clemson and Florida State were in the same division, even though they were by far the best two teams. And so one of them would always play some other inferior team in the ACC championship or ACC championship game, and it would just be anticlimactic at that point. Thankfully, that's all gone. So theoretically, we could see a Florida State-Clemson matchup in the ACC championship game that could potentially decide who's going to go to the playoff. Um, so even if Florida State were to lose to Clemson and you know win out in the rest of their schedule, they would have a chance for redemption at Clemson in the ACC championship game. And even if Clemson is undefeated going into that game, if Florida State wins, then they could make their statement and going to the the playoff. So there's definitely a lot of factors going into it. That game against LSU is pretty tough in week one, but they did it last year. So I'm really excited for the, the season. Like I said, definitely a lot of hype going on, but I've bought in. And yes, I'm. it's because I'm a fan. But also, as I just pointed out, there's a lot of reasons to be excited. Coming from someone that was also used to not feeling good about his team, I gotta say, like, it is, isn't it nice to be able to come back and say, like, okay, there's, there are things to look forward to. There's optimism here. And I know you said you don't believe that they're winning, but hey, you believed in them enough to call them a dark horse, you know, and that's something. And it's nice to have between contender and dark horse to have both of our teams represented in a serious fashion. Right. It's cool. Not because we're just completely blind to what our teams actually are. If I if if that was the case, then I would have called them a, a contender, which I am not. Just a sleeper. Uh, Michigan, I think, is a fair contender. So <laughs> we'll see. But now it's time to move on to uh, Heisman. So we've got each got a couple of Heisman favorites. Mike, who's your first guy that you have um, under the Heisman favorites category? So I mentioned this guy already earlier, but Bo Nix, quarterback for Oregon. Um, like I said, he doesn't have to worry about getting his ass handed to him on a silver platter by Georgia, whether that's as a member of an Auburn team or an Oregon team. Um, after that Georgia game, he put together a pretty good season last year. 29 passing touchdowns, 3,600 yards passing, f- over 500 yards on the ground, 14 rushing touchdowns, which is wild, 72% completion percentage. All of these are career highs, and all of them by, like, big margins. Like, the percent, the passing percentage one, as an example, is like 10% higher than his career high. Um I think the touchdowns were like 10 more, about a thousand more yards, like much improved. Um, And this is a guy that has plenty of hype surrounding him already. And like I said earlier about Oregon as a whole, like their schedule is pretty conducive to success. And that bodes well for a quarterback trying to make noise and punch his ticket to New York City. Uh, If he wins these right matchups, if he puts the right kind of stat line together. Yeah, Um, of course. The quarterback for a team with, like I just talked about, like as a dark horse championship aspirations, like of course that breeds a narrative for a Heisman hopeful. Yeah, definitely. It 
you got to give him credit for going to Oregon. I don't think too many people were, were super excited or, or expecting too much from him, but he's really excelled uh, at Oregon. So you got to give him credit. He's definitely upped his game and I could potentially see it. Um, it's a long shot for me, but I, I could definitely see it. Um, now I want to talk about somebody that I mentioned earlier, Caleb Williams. Of course, he's the Heisman favorite. He won it last year. Um, so I don't really have to talk too, too much about him. 4,500 yards passing, 42 touchdowns to five interceptions, which is obviously a, a tremendous ratio. Also got it done on the ground as well, um, more than he had previously. 10 rushing touchdowns for a guy who's not too much of a dual threat is really, really solid, showing that he's really making good decisions in the red zone. And, you know, he doesn't have Jordan Addison anymore, but as I mentioned, he's got Branch, he's got some other guys that he can go to and a great play caller in Lincoln Riley for a team that should be in that playoff conversation. So, you know, again, this is going to be another year in the scheme, another year of, uh, of of maturing and getting better. So it it makes sense. It, it No no spoiler alert here, but Caleb Williams definitely on the short list for the Heisman this season. Yeah, like a no spoiler alert. Like, hey, the reigning Heisman, who's coming back, is still good at football. <laughs> Should probably be mentioned for the Heisman again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's possible. Um, I guess the other guy I'll talk about who also has had a decent amount of hype around him, uh, that's Drake May, quarterback for UNC. Let us know if you're seeing a trend here with our favorites. Um this, like Bo Nix, is someone that had a good season last year, a better season last year, like aside from, I guess, the rushing touchdowns and the completion percentage, but 38 passing touchdowns, 4,300 passing yards, 700 rushing yards, seven rushing touchdowns, still completing two-thirds of his passes. Um, now, what he needs to do is go ahead and win some games. Uh UNC needs to have a good season in the ACC there. And what they don't need to do is what they did last year and spiral out of control and lose the last four games of the season. That was rough. Uh, But if Drake May is able to put together a good season like he did last year, build upon that, um, win more games, especially there at the end, because we all know about recency bias, um, and the opposite, um, what do we see first week one? We have a showcase against South Carolina and Spencer Rattler. Remember when his name was being floated as a Heisman candidate? Vaguely. Uh, that's a good, yeah, vaguely. Um, that's a good way to set the stage there. Uh, put those two head to head against each other week one um, for a guy that already has some hype surrounding him. So um, I like Bo Nix. Or I like Bo Nix's odds a little more than I do Drake Mays, but Drake May is certainly worth mentioning as a guy that could mess around, have a great season, and have his name called. Yeah, definitely. And Williams and May are by far the top two quarterback prospects going into the NFL draft as of now for next season. So definitely excited to see both of those guys play. May is a little bit behind Caleb Williams right now, but has the potential to 
to surpass him and potentially even be the number one overall pick next year. So North Carolina, we'll see how well they do, but he definitely has the talent. Uh, another guy who has the talent, who you mentioned earlier, Michael Penix Jr. Um, out of Washington. Amazing season last year. A little bit out of nowhere. He definitely improved significantly over his previous numbers. 4,600 yards, which was more than Caleb Williams. 31 touchdowns, which was less. <laughs> Eight picks, which was more. So <laughs> he had he had barely had him on the yards, but inter- touchdown-interception ratio, not quite so much. But he still had an amazing season. Ended up coming back to play for Washington, which was huge for them, um, you know, and I think also makes sense for him to show last year wasn't, he's not just a one year wonder. He can come back, replicate his performance and maybe even improve upon it and, you know, improve his stock. So I respect that decision. And also we talked about earlier about Ohio State's running backs versus Michigan's running backs. And I already talked about Ohio State's receivers and Marvin Harrison and Egbuka. But let's talk about Washington's receivers real quick. Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan. I mean, both of these guys, that's probably, if Ohio State's number one, then that's probably 1A in, in college football. So when you talk about having both of those guys coming back for, for Penix to throw to, like, the sky's the limit for, for them. Um, and obviously just gives him two really good options to throw to on pretty much every down. So Washington, and again, like you said, they're probably going to be up there in and amongst it if they if they get through a couple of those tough games and and he has a couple of signature performances against USC, against Oregon, then we could be seeing a, a really strong Heisman campaign for him uh, and you know further validating his decision to come back to school. So looking forward to see what he does this year. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, we're doing a lot of talking about the Pac-12 here, Uh, but I like it, you know. Um, If you thought that we were just going to focus on the Big Ten, the ACC, and for some reason the SEC, I I guess they exist. We're dead wrong. Also, we're not not giving any love to the Big 12 either. It's kind of bad. No, no, come on, stop playing. (laughs) Texas, you're always going to be one year away. Um, That's not necessarily true. They look decent, but still. Yeah, they're ranked, what, 10th, 11th, something Something like that. Yeah, I mean, Quinn Ewers, he's not going to be in my favorites or sleepers, but he, he he is talented, so we'll see. Arch Manning, let's go ahead and get the Heisman hype now. Okay. Just wait two years. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Maybe this year. Hey, maybe he'll like, maybe he'll be like Peyton and put together an amazing season and then have the Heisman stolen by a defensive back. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I would pay good damn money to see that. Let me tell you. Boy. All right. Okay. Speaking of which, want to go into some Heisman sleepers? Yeah. I'm not going to pick a defensive player because that already happened once in the last 30 years. And I think the Heisman committee is just like, Nope, not doing that again. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it while it lasts. Um, no, I, I did, however, pick a position that is unlikely to win. Um, and that's a receiver, Marvin Harrison, Jr. Now everyone shut up 
I know. Devontae Smith just won the Heisman a few Devontae years ago. Devontae Smith won the Heisman a few years ago at receiver. Shut up. <laughs> I know. Here's the thing. That shit is rare, okay? Uh, we are in the year 2023, and a non-quarterback has won the Heisman four times this century, okay? Uh, this is almost exclusively a quarterback award. So that's why Marvin Harrison Jr. is a sleeper. He has the hype of a contender, but he plays receiver. Uh, to put this in perspective, when a quarterback wins the award, which is usually, they just kind of pick the best quarterback season. So regardless of how good or amazing or anywhere in between you were, if you were the best quarterback, then there you go. You get the Heisman probably. To win it at another position, it's not enough to be the best in the country. Marvin Harrison will almost certainly be the best receiver in the country. That doesn't mean he wins the Heisman. It means he wins um, the award for best receiver. The Bolitnikoff, yeah. to win the Heisman as the receiver. Thank you. Yes. Couldn't put it together. Um, But to win the Heisman as the receiver, you have to be first and foremost the best at your position and then be so freaking amazing that your worth exceeds that of a quarterback to the Heisman committee which is a big ask, especially uh, for someone who is downgrading in quarterback play, uh, going to Kyle McCord or Devin Brown. I don't know. Um, That said, he's a beast. I know. 77 catches for over 1,200 yards, 14 touchdowns last season. We'll see if he can replicate it. But like, we're asking him to improve upon that production with an almost assuredly worse quarterback and a bigger reliance on the run game. Like, like obviously the dude has the talent, okay? And when I look at Devontae Smith, who was the last receiver to win it, Marvin Harrison looks like a better receiver than him. But I don't love all of the other factors that are working against him right now. So is he talented enough? Like, in a vacuum to win a Heisman? I think so. I'm just saying, like, everything else coming into consideration, he's probably not going to. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think this category is, like, they're probably not going to. Like, I'm going to give both of my guys probably less than a 5% chance of actually winning it, but I wanted to mention them anyway. And I'm going to go ahead and mention both uh, because one of them I don't really need to say too much more about, and that's Jordan Travis. For Florida State, obviously, I already talked a lot about him before. Um, I think the main thing with him is he's got so much more potential. I mean, when he came to Florida State, he he went to um, our coaching staff and said, like, if you guys want me to play another position, like, I'll do that. And we shut him down and we're like, no, you're a quarterback. And since then, he has progressed by leaps and bounds um, at playing quarterback and being able to read the defense, make the right play, take care of the ball, and not just scramble a second or two seconds into getting the ball snapped to you. So I think he's got so much more potential. He's always going to have that ability on the ground as his floor. But last year, he took such a a big step up as a passer. He has such an improved, uh, you know, receiver tight end room than he did last year. Like 
I'm looking for really big things from Jordan Travis, and I think it's necessary if Florida State wants to get where they want to go. It's definitely a sleeper. I mean, 3,200 yards, 24 touchdowns last year. The, those numbers pale in comparison to some of those that, that we've read before. But like I said, I think he has a lot of potential to to grow in and potentially be in that conversation coming to the end of the season. Now, I also picked a non-quarterback because it would, wouldn't have been fun not to. Quinshawn Judkins, which first of all, I love because it sounds like a Key and Peele name. Quinshawn Judkins, University <laughs> of Mississippi. Um, shout out if you know that reference, if you're listening. Um, but yeah, so as a freshman last year for Ole Miss, over 1,500 yards and 16 touchdowns on the ground. And not only that, he did it in style. I love those bruising running backs. Now, to I got to be honest, I love the, like, the electric lightning fast ones like Dalvin, but there's something about a dude who's just going to you know, look for contact. And when he needs to, he also makes you miss and can, you know, leave you in the dust if he gets a, a hole. Uh, and Judkins is that guy, extremely talented. And as a true freshman last year, like the year before he was playing high school football, then he comes into the SEC and is one of the better backs in college football. I mean, the sky's the limit for this guy. He's going to be one year older and he's going to, you know, his body is still, he's still growing. He's still getting stronger. He's still getting faster. And I think that he has an outside shot of winning the Heisman this year. Obviously it's tough because he plays at Ole Miss and he could have gone any number of places, but respect to him for going to Ole Miss, probably because he could go ahead and start right away. Um, And so I looked at Derrick Henry in the 2015 season, which is when he won the Heisman. And I've, I'm estimating these are the numbers that Quinshawn Judkins is going to need to reach if realistically he wants to win the Heisman. He is going to have to rush for about 2,200 yards, which Derrick Henry rushed for 2,219 in that 2015 season, which was the sixth most all-time, by the way. So he's going to have to get around there at least 2,000 for sure, um, if not more, which... 29 players have done before. Um, and then in terms of rushing touchdowns, I, I think he's going to need to get around the 30 mark, which is pretty much doubling his touchdowns from last year. Uh, Derrick Henry scored 28 in 2015 when he, when he won the Heisman. So it's a big ask. And I'm not saying that I think that this is def- definitively going to happen, but I do believe in the talent of the player. And I believe in Ole Miss featuring him as the main, like building their offense around him. I mean, Jackson Dart is fine, but like you're not leaning on him. You're leaning on Judkins if you're Ole Miss. So I'm looking for him to take another leap this year. I don't think it's, it's not probable, but it is possible. Um, And, you know, who knows? Maybe we could see a historic season from Judkins this year. Um, obviously Ole Miss, he would need to carry Ole Miss to a couple of, of really big victories, um, as well to be in contention for it. I don't know if that's going to happen necessarily because let's be honest, Ole Miss is kind of in that second tier, maybe even third tier of teams in the SEC, but 
let's say that he goes in and he tears up Alabama. Or let's say he goes in there and tears up LSU. And, and which by the way, Ole Miss plays Alabama and LSU in back-to-back weeks. That's tough. Oh, Dude's kind of bruises. That ain't right. And then he also has to play Georgia later. Um, but let's say that, you know, two out of those three teams, he somehow is unbelievable and carries them to, to victories in two of those games. Maybe Ole Miss doesn't make the playoff, but they get really close and end up as a top 10 team and he reaches those numbers. I could potentially see him getting a lot of Heisman votes uh, if that was the case. So we'll see. It's probably going to be a quarterback though. Yeah, and I have to add one other thing about the four guys that have won uh, the Heisman that weren't quarterbacks this century. And that's something narratively that they had going for them that Judd, like, dude's not going to have it. They were all best player on best team situations. Like Devontae Smith. Oh, look, that beast receiver on Alabama. Derrick Henry, that beast running back at Alabama. Mark Ingram, that beast running back at Alabama. Reggie Bush, greatest running back that we've ever seen. <laughs> Barry um, Sanders. Yeah. I'm looking at the center, I guess. But yeah, um, but Reggie Bush, like unreal, right? Um, so you have to be like out of this world, like Reggie Bush, or the best player on the best team. And so dude would have to like do everything you said and have Ole Miss realistically make the playoffs. Like that's the way I'm looking at it. At least like in Caleb Williams won the Heisman last year without his team making the playoffs, but he was also a quarterback. (laughs) So just all that to like add to how much of an uphill battle it is to win, not as a quarterback. It's not fair, but it's the world we live in. Unfortunately, um, which is why my other Heisman sleeper is a quarterback. Um, and that's KJ Jefferson for Arkansas. So dual threat here. Um, and he's coming off a season. Sorry. He's coming off back-to-back seasons where he's thrown for over 2,600 yards, which isn't a lot. It's a decent amount. Um, he's thrown for over 20 touchdowns both seasons. He's also rushed for over 600 yards both seasons. Um, Last season, he upped his rushing touchdowns from 6 to 9. It's like a 50% increase right there. Uh, Do it again. He'll be at 12. Or actually, 50% increase, you'd be at 13 and a half. We'll call it 14. Hey. Um, And last season, he only threw five picks. It's not bad. Um, He's exciting to watch. And he's... Far and away, Arkansas's best player. The offense is built around him, and it's built in a, in such a way that's conducive for him to just shine. Now, here's what Arkansas needs to do. Remember how I said UNC needs to win? Arkansas really needs to win because Arkansas was six and six last season, and then they played a bowl game um, against Kansas where they went into a triple OT shootout uh, that ended 55-53 for them. So they ended up seven and six. That ain't going to cut it. Uh, Forget championship aspirations. You can't win the Heisman with your team basically losing every other game. You just can't do it. But 
talk about like a stage being set. They have four straight matchups against ranked opponents. LSU, currently number five. Number 23, Texas A&M. 22, Ole Miss that you were just talking about. And then number four, Alabama. Now, are they going to win all four of those games? No, they are not. But you want to talk about it? a narrative. Can you imagine if KJ Jefferson goes off against Alabama, smacks him around, puts together a 400-yard game, like, total? No. Hey, we're I talking can't about... imagine that. <laughs> I have an active imagination, okay? Um, we're talking about sleepers. Okay, say Arkansas loses, which is likely. Um, almost guaranteed. But K.J. Jefferson has a good game. K.J. Jefferson totals like 300 and some yards between the air and the ground. Puts a few touchdowns up on the board. And outside of that, balls out on the season. It's possible that he gets enough um, momentum. Uh, It's possible that his play is exciting enough to get attention. Um he is the sleepiest of my sleepers. But I can see a world in which it happens. Dreamland, maybe. <laughs> KJ Jefferson is a sleeper because he's the only one the Heisman in his dreams. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. To be honest. Hey, we had to throw some hot take yeah, in here, right? I mean, that's almost making my Quenchon Judkins pick look actually not that hard. Oh, if you're talking about KJ Jefferson for the Heisman. I mean, I respect it. He definitely is fun to watch for sure. It's just Arkansas is just not a great team. And unfortunately for them, they're in the SEC. So it's always going to be tough. I mean, maybe if just this is the craziest college football season we've ever seen, then like it could happen. And we see a bunch of injuries to star quarterbacks and stuff, which obviously I don't want, but. That's, I feel like that's the only way that it would it would happen, and he had to stand on his head every single game. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. But I appreciate the the dart throw there, because um, you never know. But um, all right, now with that, it's time to get into our last category, which is matchups to watch. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and touch on mine. It's not going to take too too long because I've already mentioned them. LSU versus FSU, week one. We saw this last year. Florida State managed to eke it out by blocking an extra point, which, yeah, you know, that really set the tone for the season. What an unbelievable first game. And ended up being a really big deal in terms of playoff implications because uh, it just kind of knocked LSU right out of it. Um, so... They're, they're facing off again, neutral site, and I am really looking forward to this game. There's no warm-up time for Florida State or LSU. A lot of these other teams, they're facing random schools who they probably paid a bunch of money to. Meanwhile, Florida State and LSU are like, nah, non-conference opponent ranked in the top 10? Yeah, sure, why not? Let's do it. So, respect to those two schools for scheduling that kind of opening week game, because that could be it. You know, if, if Florida state loses that one and loses to Clemson, then like, that's probably it. Same thing for LSU. If they lose to Florida state and they lose to Alabama, 
that's probably it. So definitely the biggest game on the schedule for week one and one that I cannot wait to watch personally. Um, Then we have USC at Notre Dame. So Notre Dame is a very interesting team, I think, this year. I know you mentioned them earlier as like, they're realistically not going to be in the mix for the playoff at the end of the year. I would agree with that. Um, But they do play some some other teams that are going to be in and amongst it. Um, And USC being one of those. So that's on October 14th. Two traditional heavyweights doing battle um, at Notre Dame as well. So that's going to be a pretty tough test for USC. It's tough to go into South Bend and win. Um, And if Notre Dame loses to Ohio State in week five, which is likely, um, then they're going to go into this game versus USC and they're going to have to win it in order to to still be in the conversation for the playoff coming the end of the year. So that's a really big one. Obviously for USC, their only non-conference opponent, that's that's tough. And that win would also separate them from Washington and Oregon as well uh, in terms of you know strength of, of opponent and all that kind of stuff if they were uh, to beat Notre Dame. And then last, I don't know if we were supposed to do two or three, but I just did three because... Why not? Um, Tennessee at Alabama. This year, last or this game last year was arguably the game of the year, um, where Tennessee finally broke that long losing streak and beat Alabama at home. But no Hendon Hooker this year, no Bryce Young this year. Jalen Hyatt scored five touchdowns in that game. Just an unbelievable, unreal performance versus Alabama. Jameer Gibbs scored three touchdowns for Alabama, also gone. So it's not going to have the same, you know, firepower necessarily, but it's going to still be a really huge game for both teams. Obviously, Alabama is going to want to get some revenge on Tennessee um, after last year. Tennessee is going to want to start their own winning streak. Small but mighty winning streak of two games. <laughs> versus Alabama, you know that they're going to be uh, excited to play that game for sure. Um, and like I mentioned before, Alabama, this looks like potentially the year where maybe you can you can beat them, where in other years it, the talent deficit might be too much. So there's obviously a lot of question marks about Tennessee. Um, you know, can Milton do it? <laughs> He's got all the arm talent in the world, but can he actually come through when it matters most? We'll have to see, uh, but I'm definitely going to want to watch this game because after last year, you can't not watch it. It's going to be must-see TV with playoff implications oh. as well, of course. Oh, 100%. I mean, like the way Tennessee celebrated that game, <laughs> take, take down the goalposts. Everybody yeah. lost their minds. Hey, respect. Yeah, you know, um, it's cathartic. Yeah. Also, when you said um, the the humble two-game winning streak, that's what Michigan's on against Ohio <laughs> State. So no shade from me. I'm with is, it. I'm, is that one of your matchups to watch? Yeah. Hey, actually. there you go. Uh-huh. What a transition again. So Unbelievable. So I thought about not doing that, but then I was like, why wouldn't I? You know, like Michigan and Ohio State have had this game circled since the end of last year. It's 
I can finally feel comfortable saying this again. It's a rivalry. Hey, uh, after years and years of me like, okay, so back up. So for a long, long, long ass time, Michigan, Ohio State has been called like the game, the biggest rivalry in sports, yada, yada. And for the last several years, I've been on about like, it's not a rivalry anymore. I hate to say it, but it's not. I can finally feel comfortable saying it's a rivalry again. It feels nice. Uh, our two-game win streak. And while I want to beat them every year, I want to be clear, it's not because I think that that's what's going to happen. It's that it no longer just feels like the L that we just schedule for the end of the season anymore, where I know we're not going to. Like, I finally feel like it's competitive again. And that's all I, I could really ask for on a year-to-year basis which is nice um so there's that we're back to having a good rivalry game there but these were two teams that we listed as championship contenders for a reason um these are teams stacked full of talent uh we had marvin harrison jr as a heisman sleeper um with heisman uh front runner level hype around him in so far as he's a receiver and not a quarterback um we have um plenty of talent on the defensive end we have four great running backs in this game to watch out for health permitting and most of all almost certainly playoff implications because it for both of them it's the last game of the season um assuming one if not both of them have zero or one losses like the winner of that game probably goes to the uh playoffs yeah, like, just because it's the easy answer doesn't mean I can't pick it. Yeah, this is the game to watch. Eleven twenty-five, baby, it's circled. Um, and I one hundred percent cheated for the other one. Um, so here's what I'm gonna say for other games to look out for. You ready? Washington, Utah, USC, Oregon. If any of these. T- if any two of these four teams are playing each other, it's a big game to me. All four of these teams have an outside shot at the playoffs, which means any game between the four of them can be huge. When December rolls around and we're looking at resumes, we're looking at what big wins do you have, what's your record, we could likely circle back to any of those games and say, this is the reason USC is in the playoffs. This is the reason Oregon makes the playoffs. Um, So I wasn't super comfortable narrowing it down to one or two but all of the ones i tried to narrow it down from involve these four teams and so any of those four it has the potential to be lit and very important and not just for the playoffs but for heisman candidacies as well i mean looking at those teams again that includes bo nicks michael Penix jr and caleb williams for sure yeah i mean there are so many different matchups that we did not mention that we could mention. Special shout out to Texas, Alabama. That one should be a very interesting game too in week two. So that's one that I want to look out for as well. There are, and there are plenty of other ones, of course. Um, hey, there's A and M, Tennessee. I think yeah. There, there's game. one slight mention of the Big Twelve in this preview so there you go um texas you gotta win that one just getting right away from (laughs) texas you gotta win that one come on um but yeah so obviously so many great matchups to watch and that's one of the reasons why college football is great 
is that you've got a bunch of really talented teams across the country and I have a lot of premier matchups to look forward to and who knows how it'll shake out at the end of the season. Uh, but you've heard, you know, kind of our season preview, the teams and players that we're looking at. So hopefully, hopefully if you weren't already, this is get, getting you in the mood for those lovely Saturdays um, where the weather is nice out, got a beer, maybe got some nice food, some nice snacks, and just chilling on, on the couch and watching college football all day long. You know, you're speaking my language. So well, if you're also looking forward to that, then if you haven't already, hit subscribe. Leave us a, a five-star review saying what exactly you're excited about for this college football season coming up if you appreciated our preview. Um, but that's, I think, going to wrap up this segment. When we come back, as always, we're going to get into the hot seat and fun fact. All right, we're back. And as you may be familiar, sometimes our hot seats are silly. Sometimes they're serious. So on this episode's edition of Dude, What the Hell Are You Doing? Dave, you want to tell us about Wonder Franco? Yeah, I guess I should. Um, so if you follow baseball at all, you'll you'll obviously know who this guy is. And you're probably already familiar with the story. So one of baseball's top young talents, 22 years old, uh, plays for the Rays, signed a $182 million deal a couple years ago, which the Rays don't give out those types of contracts. So you know he had to have been a special player for them to go ahead and, and give him that kind of contract. Um, he may have just thrown it all away because allegations have come out that he was involved with not just one, but potentially multiple uh, girls that are you know, considered minors under the age of 18 uh, in the Dominican Republic, um, you know, having sexual relationships with them, basically. Um, so there was like, there was an Instagram post that was circulating that one of the girls uh, where she kind of posted some pictures and alleged some things. And then there's also been another girl who's gone to the, the police and, and said similar things. Uh, so Wander Franco has been put on administrative leave by Major League Baseball while they're doing an investigation, which is currently underway. Um, so we'll see what the results of that are. Uh, but it seems likely that it's going to end up not not looking too great for Wander Franco. Um, some sources are saying that his MLB career could be over. And that $182 million contract, most MLB contracts, if not all of them, have what's called a morality clause, where, you know, in situations like this, if he were to be found guilty of these charges, then that could be voided. And he wouldn't, the Rays wouldn't have to pay him another cent of that contract. Um, not to mention, he potentially could just be exiled out of Major League Baseball altogether depending on obviously the severity of the allegations and what happened and all that kind of stuff. So we're kind of in wait and see mode right now uh, because the investigation is still underway. But just just to be real for a second, put yourself in Wander Franco's shoes. You're 22 years old, all-star shortstop for a great organization in the Tampa Bay Rays who are doing really, really well this season. You've signed 
life altering generational money. You're guaranteed $182 million. Your whole career is ahead of you. You're only 22 years old. And you're allegedly having sexual relationships with minors. I, I just, it's just hard for me to understand how that that decision making, what what's going into that decision making process. Like it's, it's just tough because you know, whatever your feelings are on, on any of this kind of stuff, like if you're Wander Franco, surely you have your fair share of above age and legal partners who are interested in, in being with you, you know, like surely your, your DMS are going crazy. I, I just don't understand why you would number one, it's just morally a ter like a horrible thing and you should not be taking advantage of, you know, at least what are legally considered to be kids in that way. Like that's, that's obviously totally uncalled for. Um, and, and awful, but like, I, I just don't understand how logically speaking, why you would make that, that kind of decision and potentially, you know, multiple times with multiple people. So like I said, this is all just allegations right now. Um, nothing has been confirmed or anything, but it certainly seems like if, if MLB is putting him under administrative leave, then there must be serious enough evidence to where, you know, it, it seems like he is guilty of this crime. So that could be it for Wander Franco um, in Major League Baseball. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly what, you know, what the punishment would be in the situation. It's obviously very serious. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a great example of athletes who seemingly have everything uh, and just can't make the right decisions. Um, so it's really unfortunate. And obviously I feel for the victims if, you know, that is indeed what happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, Wander Franco had to be on the hot seat and we had to talk about it because it's just, like you said, it's another, another edition of the hot seat in the category of what the hell are you doing, dude? Yeah, and um, I guess the only thing I'll like say in response is like every now and then, more often than every now and then, we see an athlete get in trouble for like some drug possession or something, right? Um, like in the NBA with like marijuana or whatever. Um, and when stuff like that happens, um our opinion of it i mean kind of speaking for you here so feel free to like correct me on your perspective but it's kind of like what you said already it's like dude just like make a judgment call right like you have so much to lose and the gain is like doing like smoking weed or whatever um and i look at that and i'm like okay like it's a bad look, but I'm not really going to say much negatively about like marijuana one way or the other. Like to me, it's not like a huge moral crime, but it is like a bad judgment call from like a publicity standpoint. This on the other hand, 
I'm like, it's night and day for me. Like, I, I'm looking at this and I'm like, forget like how it looks as a pro athlete. Like, what does this say about you? Like as a human being that you're not a good one in my book. Like, um, so I agree with you. It is like, if, if you're being practical about it, like I'm, like you said, I'm sure his DMS are blowing up, you know, like, um, there are plenty of people that you could talk to that are of legal age. Um, but just aside from publicity or like the bad look that it is optically, like just morally speaking, like there's something wrong here. Um, and I guess like I would, I don't know. I guess that's where I'm, I'm at. So very, very hot seat to me um, for all Yeah, that, I guess. I mean, he's on the hot seat because he's a pro athlete and we heard about this and, you know, that's what this is about. But also just on the hot seat as a person in general. Um, and like Mike said, sometimes it's it's just silly. Sometimes it's just something funny that happened. And sometimes it's something serious and this is one that we wanted to talk about. So, um, yeah, Wander Franco definitely on the hot seat for sure. And we'll just see, you know, what ends up shaking out in terms of the investigation. For sure. Now, I'm going to skip the attempt at a, uh, a smooth and fun transition, given the subject matter, and just be sort of direct about it. It's time for the fun fact. <laughs> Hey, in a world in which I typically do some like innovative transition that incorporates the subject matter we were just talking about and move that into the fun fact, one where we randomly don't do that is sort of like meta creative. So here we are. I guess so. Um, I don't think this is bad, but I did say like, I did think of, I wonder what your fun fact is going to be um but no it's it's fine um so i i appreciate the directness and not you know kind of leaving that where it is so my fun fact for this episode has to do with burning calories so um shout out to me i've been you know i've been doing you know i'm doing a diet trying to move around a bit more you know trying to watch my figure and it's going you know decently well so far so i wanted to share something that i thought was very interesting and you know potentially you've been misled um when it comes to this so when it turn when it comes to burning calories there are basically four different ways that you can do that one of those is exercise. Then you've got the actual, when you eat food, the energy that your body uses to digest that food is one. Then you've also got <clears throat> basically non-exercise movement. So just walking around the grocery store or getting up to go get a bag of chips, which is a bad example, but that, that would count. <laughs> and then you have your basal metabolic rate which is basically genetically speaking, everybody has a different metabolism and that is a big chunk of, you know, how your body burns calories. So out of those four, <clears throat> you might think, 
okay, well, one of these might be more than the other or whatever. So I'm going to put some percentages in there for you to give you some perspective. So 70% of your calorie burn is your basal metabolic rate. You don't have any control over it. It's just you either have it or you don't have it. Then 15% is just moving around. So not not exercise per se, but just being active, going, you know, and just moving your body around is 15%. Then 10% is your body digesting food um, and, you know, circulating that to wherever it needs to go. And then the last less than 5% or about 5% is actually exercise. So whatever you've ever heard about exercise and like needing that to be a huge part of your life in order to lose weight, it's it's definitely, it makes an impact for sure. I'm not discounting that. It's just not as big of a deal as you would think. Just getting up and moving around and not being sedentary is almost and you know statistically speaking does more for burning calories than actual exercise itself um so next time that you're thinking about you know if you just have noticed that you're just been sitting in one spot for too long whether you're at work or whatever then just think about it and just stand up or just go and walk around your apartment or something. If you're on the phone, don't just like sit and talk on the phone. Go and like go for a little walk or something like that. Because just getting your body up and moving is, you know, a bigger part of burning calories and like staying fit than even exercises. So I just thought that was really interesting um, and wanted to share with everyone because I think that's been really helpful for me too, where... I don't have to think like I have to go to the gym or I have to go to do some like strenuous physical activity in order to burn a lot of calories. I actually just pretty much just need to get up and move um, because like I said, 70% you can't control of your metabolism and then 10% you can't control because it's just the food that you're digesting. So it's really only 20% that you're in control over and 15 of that is just moving around. So that's my fun fact for the day. Hopefully that helps. Um, whether or not you're already in the shape that you want to be, or you're you're trying to get there, because um, it's been really helpful for me. I mean, it's like they say, right? Like when they, whenever you see those videos pop up about like, guys, do this quick little thing. It'll help you a lot. Like it's the little things that help that add up and all that. Yeah, for sure. It's why I like standing desks sell. You know, uh, like that's a thing. It's not. Like, that's the type of thing that feels gimmicky, but, like, it's a thing. I have one. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But, no, like, um, there are a bunch of people at my work that make a, like, habit of just walking around the campus once or twice a day. And these are, like, like, these aren't bodybuilders, you know? These are people that are just, like, trying to stay healthy, and they're doing it. Uh, just from doing stuff like that um so yeah 100 percent. like just do the little things you know um it doesn't like gym memberships are great if you're trying to like build strength or like tone muscles or whatever but 
yeah, like you said, in terms of like weight gain or con- or control or loss or whatever, um, yeah, uh, the gym's not going to be. Not only is it not the end all be all in that department, it's literally the least important of the big four. Yeah, and I'm not saying don't go to the gym, but I am saying if that seems like it's a lot, then just getting up and moving around is a lot more approachable and it's a lot more doable for a lot of people, especially with busy schedules and all that kind of stuff. Like even stuff like, oh, don't keep circling around the parking lot until you get a a spot that's like right near the front. Like just park in the back and just walk a little bit further. That's not going to kill you. It's just things like that where in fact, yeah, it will literally help. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, it's, it's just small things like that, that just help you stay active and stay healthy. Uh, that I think is really important. So that's the fun fact. And that's also going to wrap up this episode. So hope you guys enjoyed uh, our college football preview um, and also everything else that we talked about as well. Um, Let us know, like I mentioned earlier, what you're excited for for this college football season, whether your team is in the hunt or maybe on the outside looking in. Uh, You know, best of luck this coming season. I already know I'm really looking forward to football season um, and seeing exactly what happens. This is one of the best times of the year. So definitely looking forward to it. As am I. September 2nd, it's almost here. Michigan's first game. I'm excited for that. FSU and LSU, that'll be the game of the weekend. I've got that one circled as well. Excited to watch. I'm also excited for episode 62, which will come out in two weeks, where we'll do our NFL tier list. Always a hoot. Um, But until then, this has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast.